So this morning we'll be looking at verse 7. Uh, and so I'm going to read up through that point. So 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 7. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would open our minds and pour light in to help us see more clearly what your love is doing in us. It gives us a hope that is beyond this world. And I know that there are many in this church who are enduring suffering while in this world, but your love, because we have such a future hope, enables us to endure with joy and love while we are here. And so I ask God that that would be the work that your spirit would do today, just as this passage says. Give us a hope and give us endurance. And please teach us in your word what that looks like. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So even there in my prayer, I gave you really what the main point of this morning's sermon is about. The main point is the God who loves us has so secured our future. and He secured our future at the cross by his love for us. He has so secured our future that we can live confidently and joyfully, lovingly in the present no matter what our circumstances are. And there are people here in this church who are facing difficult circumstances in the present, but because what Jesus has done for us, it so secures our future beyond this world, it enables us to live in an amazing way, miraculous way, in this world. Our joy cannot be taken from us. Our love cannot be ripped from our clutches because we have been secured by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so here, a couple weeks ago, we looked at how love is strong. The first half of verse 7, that love bears all things and believes all things. Today, we see that love hopes all things and endures all things. Hope and endurance. What is hope? What does that mean? I'm sure that you use this word a lot. I have noticed when I write, I use the word hope a lot. I hope that you have. I hope that you have. And the way that I normally am using that word is that I kind of have a bit of a doubt. I'm not sure, but I'm hopeful that something good has happened to you. So I hope that you all had a wonderful Christmas. I don't know that you did, but I would like to think that you did. 
You hope the Bills will make the playoffs, do you not? You hope the Bills will be back in the Super Bowl. Yeah, you didn't sound as strong on that one. <laughs> because one of them's more sure than the other. Because in your more honest moments, you'd admit that this is a doubting kind of hope since you have not seen the Bills in the Super Bowl in 30 years. But you hope. Christians don't have that kind of worldly hope. We have a certain hope that has been secured at the cross. We do not doubt that we have a future with God because God, who never lies, has told us so. We belong to him. We are rooted in his love. And that gives us a confidence in the future that cannot be shaken. That's hope. What about endurance? Endurance is the ability to keep going in the present. That's what endurance is. The ability to keep going in the present. This word is used to describe an army that refuses to give up in spite of the assaults of the enemy. They're constantly being attacked, but will not give up, will not give in, continue to press forward. That's what endurance is. There's no quit in this endurance. And so here we have hope and we have endurance that are secured and glued together by love. So the love of God is the glue that holds these things together. They're bought and bound by the love of God in Jesus Christ at the cross. You have hope which presses us to endure. So let me restate the main point again in a different way. The cross of Jesus Christ has so secured us to him that we have a hope that extends beyond this world which enables us to endure all things while we are in this world. And we are able to love like Jesus Christ while we are here. That's what has been secured for us. Confidence in the future that enables something miraculous and powerful in the present. We have joy, even though life is hard. And we can love even though that also is greatly is very difficult we're enabled to have the love of Jesus toward those that make life difficult or the circumstances that make life difficult God's spirit does that work in us because of what Christ has done for us now I want to give you a couple of biblical examples of this to make the point clearer that hope and endurance are glued together with love in the Old Testament, I don't know if there was a person more captured by the love of God than David. God himself said that David was a man after his own heart. What a wonderful testimony. Don't you want that said about you? It's almost like if you could have anything said about you that you see in, the, in God's word. To be a man or a woman after God's own heart means you are filled with love toward your God. And he knows it. And he sees it in you. He saw that in David. And if you remember David's story, it begins with Samuel showing up at his house and pouring oil on the young David, anointing him as the future king. And at that point in time, we don't know exactly how old David was. Let's just guess he was 16, 18, 20, somewhere in there. He was a young man. 
At that point, David's future was secure. His kingship was secure, and he knew that God would someday make him king over Israel because God had promised. God loved David, and he now had proven that love to David. And so David had confidence that that day would come when the throne would be his. But how long would it be before David would become king? Does anybody know? It's, it's actually not certain how long that he waited. We know it was probably at least seven years. Could have been up to 15 years, but probably closer to around seven to ten years. And that whole time while David was waiting, he refused to take matters into his own hands as Saul tried to eliminate him as a threat to his throne. He had served in Saul's house, and Saul began to hate David. He saw how the people loved him and delighted in him, and he sought to kill him. He even told his son Jonathan that he was going to kill the son of Jesse. And Jonathan says, you know, it's, it's his friend. He doesn't want him to be killed by his father. And he begins to protect David and take care of him. And David runs away, and he builds a little army of his own out there in the wilderness for all of these years. And several times, David is given the opportunity to take matters into his own hands and kill Saul, but he refuses to do so. He knew that God had promised him that he would become king and he would wait for the Lord's timing. So he had hope, a confident assurance in the future. He knew that it was secured by the promise of God. And that led him to endurance, the ability to keep going here in the present. That hope and endurance were secured by God's love for David. That's an Old Testament example. Let me give you one from the New. The best New Testament example is what we see in Jesus himself. And the writer of the book of Hebrews makes this point. He makes it with perfection. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. He's our example, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so here is Jesus. Such confidence in the promise and love of God his Father that he was willing to endure the cross and all the shame that came with it. We're told here, here there was a joy that was out there in front of him. It was set before him. And he could see it out there in the future. He knew it was, it was going to happen. This joyful occasion when he has a church, a people for himself. He's back in the glories of heaven with all of these people who now love God that have been bought with his blood. He could see that with assurance it was going to happen. And it enabled him in the present to endure the cross. Secured, safe in the hands of his father. And even while he was there at the cross, then he didn't just endure. He didn't just keep his mouth closed and gut it out. He was given opportunities while he was there on the cross to rail against those who railed against him. 
He could have spoken harshly, roughly. And we'd think, well, I mean, he was in a great deal of pain up there. I know how I would respond, or I know how I do respond when I'm in pain, or I am fearful, or anxious, or upset. I speak roughly to other people. I'm downright mean at times, but not Jesus. What did he do when he was up there at the cross? Thieves spoke harshly to him. People stood below the cross and mocked him, taunted him. Why doesn't he come down now? You say you're the son of God and you healed people while you were here on earth. How about you come down from there and prove who you are to us? And what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He continued to love while he was up there enduring the difficulties that he had to face. And that's what Paul is teaching us here in 1 Corinthians 13, that the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ has been given to his people here on earth. He had a hope and a joy set out there in front of him that enabled him to endure in joy and love while he was there suffering. That's the spirit that God has given to his people. And he empowers us to do the same, to endure with joy and love. Paul wants us to see the enduring and unfailing nature of God's love for his people as he writes here in 1 Corinthians 13 to this church who is struggling at this time to truly love. And I don't know what God would say about Kaz Church as he looks down at us and he sees the intricacies of each person's heart and he sees every circumstance that you are facing. I don't know how he would assess us but I have to imagine that he would look down and see that there are many people here who are struggling to love. And he wants us to refocus our attention on his son and begin to love like he does so that we can be a faithful witness in this world and thrive in joy while we are here when everything does not go the way that we want it to. Is there anybody in the room here today that has everything going just the way that you want it to right now? That's the world that we live in. God promises that he will enable us with his love to endure. I've got a couple of examples from our own church. A couple of biblical examples that we see here in God's word, but I've got a couple of people that are here, and I'm actually kind of glad that they're not here today, so that I can speak freely, and really, I guess, in some ways, not embarrass them. First, Rick Tober. Rick's been coming to our church for a few years. Some of you all probably knew him when he was at Armour. He was there for a time. A few months ago, he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And, I mean, it's just the thought that, you know, six months ago, everything is just normal, and then one day you get a diagnosis and everything changes. Your whole life begins to revolve around treatment and what you've got to do to get better. Rick was one of those people who would drive folks everywhere. A lot of people in the city don't drive, and he's 
He was a guy who'd go and pick them off and take them places, get them there faster. And now Rick can't drive anymore. So that's kind of been taken from him. He's stuck in his, his own home. He's dependent on other people for almost everything. And to the watching world, I have to imagine that there are people out there that would expect for this man to fall apart and become bitter and angry. But he hasn't. In every conversation that I've had with Rick, he has been gracious and he has been kind. And there's been a warmth to his voice that I don't know if it was there before. I didn't know Rick real well before all of this. He's so grateful for the kindnesses that God has shown him through all of this. He's made progress along the way. He told me this past week how he has made some progress and he's been very encouraged. But it is still very possible that this cancer will eventually take his life. And he knows that. And so how can he not utterly panic in this moment and begin to treat people a little bit more roughly? That could be excused, could it not? That could be expected, but not with Rick. It's because Rick has hope. And it's not a worldly hope. It's not, uh, I'm staying positive so that you know, that will bring about my healing. I got, I got to stay positive. I got to stay upbeat so that I get better. And I hope that I'll get better. It's not that kind of hope that Rick has. It's this one, like we see here in these verses. The confident assurance that his hope has been secured by the blood of Jesus Christ. He knows that. He understands that. And he will certainly get better. He knows that too. But it is not necessarily going to be here. He knows that his perfect healing and eternal life has been secured by the love of Jesus Christ at the cross. He knows that. That is what is sure and certain in his life. And the assurance of this future joy, the perfect confidence of that, it enables Rick while he is here, while he is suffering, while things aren't going the way that he wants them to, maybe getting poor diagnoses from time to time, he wakes up feeling crummy after chemo, it enables him to endure with joy that cannot be stolen from him while he is in this world and treat people with kindness and love while he is here because he has the spirit of Jesus Christ inside of him. He knows that God is actually using, in some way or another, this cancer for good. God is using that to shape and mold him for a future place. And Christians understand this. I hope you understand this. When things aren't going the way that you want them to, we know that God works all things for good. Yes, even cancer. Yes, even great difficulties, suffering, death, sicknesses, all of it, natural disasters, God works all things. Everything falls underneath that umbrella for our good. Not always able to be seen in this life. Not necessarily that good. Sometimes, yes. But we know for certain all of that will be used for our good in eternal glory. God is using all of that stuff to prepare us for a place where we will enjoy more fully what we have there by what we have endured here. That's what Rick has. And I hope you have that too.
As maybe right now, everything is going the way that you want it to. I remember, I remember sitting in church, I mean, this is probably about 15 years ago, I can remember sitting in church on multiple occasions, and the pastor saying something like, you know, I know you all out there are having a hard time right now, and I'm thinking to myself, no, like, <laughs> no I, don't, I don't think so. But life is hard, is it not? And things don't always go the way that you want for them to. All sorts of relationships that you have, children, grandchildren, co-workers. Things don't always go the way that you want them to and all that, do they? Start to hurt. Joints don't feel good in the morning. And again, like Rick, one trip to the doctor, everything changes. But we have a hope that cannot be taken because it has been secured by and we look forward to something, and we can see it by faith. So that's Rick. Have you ever talked with Lois? Lois usually sits right here. Doesn't say a whole lot. Very unassuming lady. Lois has suffered greatly, and now she has cancer. And I have to imagine somebody in a very critical way, pessimistic kind of way, could look at Lois and say, where's your God now? What's he done for you lately? Oh, I wish he would ask, somebody would say that to Lois. Because her response, I'm sure, would shock them. I can almost hear it. Joyful. Oh, let me tell you. He's been with me through it all. There's a story about George Whitfield and John Wesley that reminds me of Lois. These two men, they had opposing views on a particular doctrine and the public knew about it. Wesley had written. Whitfield had been away to the Americas on one of his preaching tours. Great Awakening is going on. Converts. He comes back from his tour here in America to find that Wesley has written. and Their relationship was rocky from there forward because they didn't agree on certain things. Later on in life, somebody asked Whitfield, do you think you'll see John Wesley in heaven? Meaning, do you think he'll even be there? And Whitfield responded, oh no. Which I'm sure got some snickers from the crowd until he finished his thought. He said, he'll be so close to God's throne, I won't be able to catch sight of him. I think this about Lois. She's a lady who isn't out front. She doesn't have an official title. People don't go to her office for counsel or advice. And she has suffered for decades. And here she still suffers today, but her joy has not been extinguished from her, and it cannot be because her hope is so real. God's love enables her to see it 
and to cling to him, truly cling to him, stay close to him through all of it. And to give thanks. She finds so much to be thankful for. And to be an encourager to other people. And if you tell her that, she's shocked to hear it. Oh, me? And she's a witness to his love along the way. So will I see Lois in heaven? Oh, no. She'll be too close to the throne for me. I won't be able to catch sight of her. But while she's here, she radiates confidence in God's promises and endures with humble love because she knows that she has been bought by the love of God. And I know there are others of you here, others of you who are looking forward to a place where you will always glorify God, you'll always be joyful, you'll always be filled to overflowing with the love of God. And down here you suffer. And in God's wisdom, he has chosen to save you, his precious children. Do you think about yourself that way? That you are precious in the eyes of God. That he truly delights in you, that he loves you. And yeah, he sees all of your sins and failings and faults, and yet his love for you cannot fail. You've got children, many of you. You've got grandchildren. And you see their faults and their sins and their failings, do you not? And yet you love them. What do you think the perfect love of a father is like toward you? Those who have been secured by the love of his son. We're sinners, and our love is imperfect. His is not. You're precious to him. Jesus went to the cross with you in mind. And his love secured you 2,000 years ago so that you can have confidence in the future with him. He does not want you to doubt He wants you with him in a world more glorious than this one. He wants you to know that you will be healed. There's never going to be a day of bad news from family or friends or doctors. Maybe you've got one of those people in your family that when you see their phone number pop up, like, oh, you're so sure it's just going to be more bad news. There won't be another day like that in heaven. There won't be a day with pain in your joints. There won't be any emotional baggage for you to lug around. No broken relationships. No despair. None of that there. A world of glory is just beyond the veil. Bought with the blood of love. And so for the joy that is set before you, you are enabled by God to endure whatever you meet down here. 
with the love of God living inside of you and spilling out toward him and other people. He will enable you to do that. The spirit that God has placed inside of those who are his and have faith in his son, faith in his work and in his promises, that same spirit will do this in you. He will give you hope and he will lead you to endure. So the question for you this morning is, are you Christ's? Do you belong to him? Can you say with Peter, who says in the first chapter, though you have not seen him, you love him. Why would you love this man that you have not seen before? Because you can see him with eyes of faith. He bought that for you. Do you love him? I mean, really, do you love him? Not just because you've heard about him, but because you have, in a sense, seen him. Just a glimpse, even. That's all it takes. We've not been given a full view of Christ yet. Not yet. We get glimpses. We get things shaded. Paul will say here in the next verses, here we see in a mirror dimly. We don't see fully while we're here. But what you have seen of Jesus Christ, you love. So are you Christ's? And if so, these gifts of love are promised to you. Hope and endurance right here in the present world. And so will you just for a moment hold those precious promises dear in your heart? These things are better than all your favorite blessings here on earth. His love is better than a priceless jewel. And yes, his love is better than 5,000 Super Bowl wins. I know you think that your life would be complete if you just got one. Some, of, some people think like that. The best thing that you can know and have is the love of God in your heart. There are things that other people might love, like a sunset over the lake. Here in Buffalo, we get beautiful sunsets over top of the lake. How many of you all have ever taken a stroll out there by the outer harbor and seen those at night? Wonderful. Maybe a smell of a barn full of hay. Love to be outside. I was talking to a man this week who said, I never feel closer to God than when I'm out in the woods, just with him. Maybe then you know the love of God and sense the love of God. God's love is sweeter than the love of children. There's a joy and a wonder that children have. God's love is better than that. That was only made to give you a sense of his greater love for you. Hold up those promises of God to you, of his love for you, next to your sin. Think for a moment the way that sin has interfered and muddled up the love of God 
in your life. Messed up your thoughts about God's love, your ability to love other people. You've had more love for this present world at times than for the promised world to come. You've been filled with selfishness and jealousies and grudges and discontentment and fighting and unforgiveness and ingratitude. And so when you hold up God's love next to all of that, that should give you a sense of the foulness of sin and hopefully develop inside of you a holy hatred for it and a delight in a love that God has for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you in spite of all of those things and his love overcomes all of those things and secures for us a future where those things will not exist anymore. We should never be marked by complaint and gloomy pessimism, throwing in the towel and grumbling while we are here. We have an inheritance because we've been cleansed by the blood of God's Son. I just want you to catch a glimpse of that this morning and experience something of what Paul spoke of in that passage I read earlier in Ephesians chapter 3, that you would know something of the height and length and breadth and depth of the love of God that he has for you in Christ Jesus. And if you have that in you, you'll have a hope that cannot be stolen and you will be able to endure the difficulties of this life because your future is so certain. So brothers and sisters, I hope this morning that you can see Christ. Hope that I can see Christ. That we can be grounded in his love together and be a strange and different people from the world while we're here. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that genuine love hopes all things and endures all things. And Father, we confess that we believe that this is not just a catchy slogan, that it is the truth for those who are owned by God's love. May it be said of every person here that we are owned by the love of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, for the examples that you have set amongst us, people like Rick and Lois and many others who are so confident in what you have bought for them, the inheritance that they have waiting for them, that they are able to endure with great joy everything that comes their way here in this life. May it also be said of us. If we live long enough, we know, Lord, that difficult days will be ahead hardships, hills to climb, hurdles to jump over. But we know that we have a God who will be there with us through it all because we belong to you as your precious children. Lord, this morning we thank you for Christ. And we pray, Lord, for stronger faith. We say as the one man did who met Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. And give us strength to live in this world as a people of love, love like Jesus had while he was here on earth. And may people see that love and know that we are his disciples and be drawn to him. 
Please do this great work inside of us this morning. Give us this confidence and help us to endure because we have been bought by your love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you're here and um, maybe you just need.